I've learned to slow my response time so that I can check inside because I feel like our challenge, especially as women or leading from the feminine in this time, is to have a two-handed offering. And one hand is facing outward towards what we care most about in the world, and the other hand is facing inward towards our own self-care and our healing and our cultivation. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is very exciting for Lauren and I to have a very special guest on our podcast today. Her name is Nina Simons, and my personal bio of her is that she is a woman that has paved the way for all of us to to really explore and inspire within ourselves the path of the feminine. She is the co-founder and chief relationship officer of Bioneers. And as a social entrepreneur for most of her life, she has been passionate about reimagining leadership, rebalancing social and gender equity. She works towards healing relations with ourselves, each other, and the earth, which is like the most necessary thing that we can be doing on the planet today. And she's written books. Today, we're going to talk about her books. She co-edited Moonrise, The Power of Women Leading from the Heart, and most recently, Reauthored, did a V2 version of Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership, which is going to be released in June. So if you're listening, it's already released. And it has a study guide and embodied practices for educators and lifelong learners. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with Nina. Nina, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. Thanks so much, Shana. You make me teary saying all that sweet stuff about me because it's missions that are dear to my heart. So thank you for that. It's good to be with you both. I just want to add in too that Nina is a living, walking example of sisterhood and women supporting women. This podcast really was inspired incredibly. We had the idea, but Nina really inspired our original guest by making introductions for us and really opening her network with like the fullest, most expansive, abundant heart. And so thank you so much, Nina. I am not sure if this podcast would be the way it is without you. So thank you. Well, wow, Shana, thank you. It's uh, part of why I think I'm here on earth is to model what I care about most deeply, which is lifting each other up 
And I think that it's true in women's leadership. And I also think that it's necessary in this time we're living in for all humans to be redefining and reinventing leadership so that we practice lifting each other up instead of competing because we don't have time for that stuff anymore and it's too destructive. It's almost hard to reimagine that that new way of relating where we're not competing and stepping on each other's shoulders but we're lifting each other's up. It's this beautiful notion that we're all like, yeah, that, but the the nuance and the the actual skill set and the healing required to be in collaboration seems like something that you have learned a lot about. And I would love to hear just your journey of discovering feminine leadership and what it really means and how you've been progressing in that and what you've been learning. Oh, gosh, Lauren. Well, it's a big question. And it's very much what I published this new book for is to actually offer people kind of a ride on my back or on my shoulders or or to be lifted by my wings or something, you know, because I realized that over the last 20 or 25 years, I've really been on a very intentional journey. As I listen to you, Lauren, what I realize is that one of the challenges I've experienced is learning how and when to say no, because I personally have a very generous spirit And also, as women, I think we are so conditioned to serve the needs of other people. And, you know, it's some complex combination, I think, of nature and nurture that we are that way. But there's no question in my experience that almost all the women that I've met and worked with, which is probably around a thousand over the last 20 or 25 years, have had that predilection. And so if part of your purpose is to help lift each other up, then how do you simultaneously care for yourself enough to know when and how to say no and to check inwardly to see what's yours to do? Because certainly I'm finding there are more invitations and requests and possibilities coming at me than I can say yes to. So that's a piece of it. It's also, I think I was starting to say why I decided to write this book. I mean, some of it was because I initially published this book at at the time of my mother's end of life. And so I had no time to promote it or help get it out there. And in spite of that, It won two awards, one for women in the category of women and one in the category of social and racial justice. And it got picked up for use by three professors and two women's circles. And they all reached out to me saying, this is an amazing book. And so when the opportunity arose that I could actually update and revise it and add discussion guides and embodied practices to it, I realized it felt really important to me to do. My, my journey has been a long and winding road, honestly. I have experienced many different career paths, some in the nonprofit world, some in the corporate world, some in uh, entrepreneurship. And I was realizing in a conversation recently that 
One of my first experiences of my own leadership happened when I was working with a startup company called Seeds of Change. And I started working with Seeds of Change because I had a transformative spiritual experience in a garden. And uh, after that, I felt like the spirit of the natural world had said, you're working for me now. And there was no question that I would respond even though I knew very little about gardening or farming or seeds or business, really. And it turned out I had a knack for it, and I learned a lot. And over time, the board of that organization asked me to become president. And I was completely startled, and I said, well, really, me? I don't have a business degree. Is that okay with you? And they said yes. And I said, well, the only way that I could accept this assignment is if, is if it, it, it's okay for me to ask when I don't know something and to ask for help. Is that okay with you all? And they said, yes. And so I took the job and somebody asked me why I had the courage to do that. And I realized that the reason I had the courage to do that is because I didn't experience it as a job. I experienced it as a spiritual calling. And because of that, I was tireless. I worked like a lunatic and, you know, continually pulling all-nighters. And I was obsessed and I loved it. And, uh, and I felt like I was working for the sacred diversity of life itself. And what could be more uh, valuable than that? So... So that's a piece. Otherwise, I mean, I have co-evolved almost everything that I've done. I partnered with my husband over the last 35 years, 33 or four, I don't remember now, to co-found and then co-evolve Bioneers, this nonprofit organization. And in all the work that I've done convening women to have transformative leadership experiences, I have partnered with other great women. So um, I think it's been a natural leaning of mine to be in relationship, but also I've learned a lot about the, the challenges and gifts of partnering and lifting each other up. And this book is an exercise in that, you know. I get to tell the stories of a lot of women who have really inspired me. And because of Bioneers, I had the opportunity to really study and explore hundreds of women leaders and men to see how leadership itself is changing and write about that in, in both of my books. Nina, you said so many things I want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you started off with talking about how to say no and how to create boundaries and I feel like this is actually one of the most important things that you can do as a human being is really understanding boundaries and especially as a leader, especially when you have your focus in a direction of, of a goal, of a dream and how, and this is something I'm very much learning, like how to prioritize and then how to create this like framework around myself. And I'm curious for you, cause I had a really beautiful conversation with a friend recently about what no feels like for her, because I think for a long time, I couldn't discern what no felt like for me. And what she described was that she had this, it was almost like a friction 
and it felt like it would take her out of the present and like into somewhere else. And that was what no felt like. And that was super liberating for me. I was like, oh, okay, what does no feel like for me? And so I'm curious, like as you've, you know, experienced your your life and you've obviously been offered so many opportunities and there's so many people with questions and things, how do you navigate these boundaries of what yes feels like and also no? And what has made you more discerning? Let's see. Well, there's a good resource that I would offer, which is a book by William Urey called The Power of a Positive No. And uh, it really kind of offers a different frame on how a no opens a door instead of closing a door. And that's really helpful. You know, what I've found, I feel like my whole life is a journey towards cultivating myself towards flourishing and to be the best version of myself, you know, or not even the best. I feel like I, I want to become who I was born to be. That's one of the ways that I imagine it. And it has helped me to release the idea that I have a goal or that I'm going to become a leader and be done. Rather, I feel like I'm cultivating myself I hope till the day I die. And and that's exciting and liberating for me. What I found, Shana, is that my sense of purpose or calling, what calls me to do, is something that I've learned to listen for from my heart and my body and my spirit. Sometimes I get I get a sense, my body just gives me a sense like, ooh, I feel drawn to that. Or, I mean, my heart is a really clear signal for a yes. As I really began delving into learning about racial justice and discovering how much I didn't know about what people of color experience in this country and what women of color experience, you know, part of what happened for me and there are stories I talk about in the book, was that I tend to fall in love with people. And, you know, not in a sexual sense necessarily, but my heart just wants to to have them in my circle. And when that happens, mm-hmm. all my empathy doors open up. And as I experienced that, it was like it was like layers of white supremacy conditioning fell away. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn about what this country is about and what I've been perpetuating through my own inaction and ignorance. And so, so it, was, it was my heart's love that really opened me to that yes. And as to the no side of it, what I've learned is that I've learned to slow my response time so that I can check inside. Because I feel like our challenge, especially as women, is to have a two-handed offering. And one hand is facing outward towards what we care most about in the world. And the other hand is facing inward towards our own self-care and our healing and our cultivation. And so I call that healing from the inside out. 
And so what I try and do is, and I'm not always effective at it, I must say, is that I try to take a moment to go inside and say, is this mine to do? Or is this mine to do now? And it helps, you know, it helps. And, and I also am looking at just the, the felt sensation in my body because I do feel like reclaiming our body's wisdom is such an important part of leading from the feminine right now. And if I check in with my body about like, should I schedule this additional meeting or appointment or podcast this week, my body will tell me if I ask and then listen. And, you know, sometimes it's just a little crimp in my stomach that says, no, it's too much. It's one toke over the line, you know, <laughs> can't do that. So I find that helpful. Hmm. I love the trust that you're demonstrating in following your body and following the yes and following the no. It's how I aspire and try to live and how I've been trying to. And as we journey and as we heal and as we start to see things we couldn't see before, we can see things about ourselves. And in reflection, which I've been doing a lot lately, I've been noticing this pattern. Shane and I have talked about this a lot, but this pattern of um, martyrdom, which feels like a socialization that is feminine and also probably ancestral for me of this like, you know, the same thing you're saying, like, oh, this heart to serve, like that's a yes. It's a full yes. But how you said that one hand turned back towards self, I see how in so many ways I haven't trusted that hand back towards self. And what I like to say subjugated myself or subjugated my body or subjugated my truth to extend even further or do more. And when I follow the thread back to the the wound or the belief system in that, there's this part of me that I'm working on healing right in this moment in my life that has believed like that if I didn't give everything, if I didn't give my all, if I didn't sacrifice myself for other people, then I was doing something wrong. Like a really weird deep-seated belief. And I, I think that there's like a, particularly in maybe spiritual communities or religious people of religious backgrounds, this piousness, this need to put yourself after others. And I think also motherhood in the past century has been a lot like this. So I want to talk about this like self-sacrifice that you may see in women's leadership. And I have done, I have seen myself do it and I have felt the impacts in my body and also in global sisterhood and in my life, I see how it doesn't work. But there's that shift, that courage to, to feed myself and to nourish myself that I feel like I'm in right now in a way that I haven't been before. Well, what you're raising, Lauren, is so important. And for me, I remember when I was around your age, one of the things that I rejected about the conventional version of leadership was the self-sacrifice part. I remember saying, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to kill yourself with work. That can't be the solution. That can't be the way forward. And 
I've since realized that sacrifice does sometimes come along with leadership, but not, not in the way that I described. I, I think what you're describing may be a confluence of conditioned responses that could be both as a woman and a mother, you know, uh, that, that, that feeling of, you know, serve till you drop. But also, I actually think it's part of an ancestral legacy, as you mentioned, and also a kind of work ethic that, you know, if you think about what this country was founded on and the rugged individualism and all that stuff, I also think it's it's part of white supremacy culture, honest says we're going to perform right. so well that we're going to be, you know, and so what comes up for me as I listen to you is that for me, it feels like healing myself from that pattern has a lot to do with the ongoing practice of of learning to actually love and value myself. And I don't mean that in any kind of hallmark way. It always kind of makes me wince to hear myself say it, but it's real. And I think that we have this deep conditioning to say our value is directly related to how much we produce and how many people or how many things we serve and how well and how far. And, you know, what if your value is as a sacred being who is a unique instrument born into this world at this time because you have very particular gifts to offer this massive moment of reinvention and healing that we are facing as a species that really will determine the future of human life on earth. And that's, you know, sounds grand and big, but it's accurate and real. And we are facing a really pivotal moment in humanity's history. And what I find is that the more I've been able to build practices of valuing myself, just for my own inherent self-worth, the more I'm able to balance the tendency to overperform and overproduce with enough self-care that I'm able to balance them a little better. You know, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I think about when I think about the tendency towards sacrifice is because I don't think it's purely patriarchy, that thing. I, I think about one of my indigenous teachers is Chief Orrin Lyons, who's a faith keeper for the Haudenosaunee or Iroquois Six Nations. And he describes how their leadership roles are chosen by the women who observe all the young children and the boys in particular, because they do, um, they do typically nominate and and identify males for leadership roles, but it's the women who select them. And the elder women watch the young boys very, very carefully when they're up to seven years old. 
And based on their behavior, they see which ones have the capacity to care for the whole. They see which ones are willing to share whatever they have. You know, they see which ones have the impulse that's bigger than themselves. And the women both appoint the leaders and they have the power to revoke their leadership roles. And sacrifice is, being willing to sacrifice is one of the qualities that the elder women look for in the boys. So, you know, I do think it happens, but what I find is that as I get older and I'm better able to regulate when and how I sacrifice and not have it take a bite out of my hide and just say, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice this for this much time and then I need a break because the regeneration of rest time is part of what we've sacrificed in our humanity. It's part of the feminine that we have undervalued and that we really need to reclaim for our health and wholeness. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm I'm feeling a lot around this energy of sacrifice and I kind of want to like dive into this idea a little bit more because there is something admirable about sacrifice and I feel like I kind of want to describe what I'm talking about. I watched this movie this weekend called Padmahar and it was such a striking movie. It just like opened my heart and put courage in my heart and love and passion but this story is about this this Indian goddess, Padmahati, and this epic quest of like courage and faith of devotion and sacrifice. And at the end of the movie, she sacrifices herself into the fire. It's an Indian ritual of sacrifice. And not only her, but all of the other women in her, her commune sacrifice themselves for their own dignity, for their own connection to source, for the goddess. And it was so moving. There was something about it that was so beautiful. And that is the ultimate sacrifice, just to take one's life for belief, for trust in the divine mother, for trust in, you know, this, this infinite force of life that protects us and holds us, no matter the form. And, you know, when I think, when I think about what you're sharing, Nina, and like what Lauren and I have been experiencing, like the difference between martyrdom and sacrifice, like there is, there is something in, in this, because I, I hear you when you talk about when you went to Seeds of Change, and there was something that that took you over because there was this inspiration, this fire, this passion, you know, in connection to source for this, this devotion you had. And yeah, I just kind of want to talk about this because it's, I don't know the answer to this, but there's something beautiful I'm finding in sacrifice, but then there's this energy of martyrdom where it's like you're creating depletion. But what about when you're sacrificing and being filled with the fire of life? Like what is, what is, what is the difference there? So well, I mean, for one thing, I think it's really important to be able to notice when sacrifice is a choice and when it's a habit, right? Or when it's a compulsion. And, and there's something about, you know, I haven't seen this film, but it's clear from your description that these women chose 
very consciously what they did. And for me, my ongoing process of self-cultivation feels like an always discernment between what uh, any beliefs or self-limiting concepts or mm, biases that I have accumulated over time without consciously choosing them and then cultivating or strengthening or nourishing or tending the parts of myself that have been chronically undervalued and under-tended and under-nourished. And with the question of sacrifice, it feels to me like there is an important discernment moment between what is choice and what is pattern? And what is, what is it that I am choosing? Because some part of me is fed by it. And what is it that I am feeling compelled to do to prove my own worth? Or mm -hmm. to appease someone else, you know, to respond to outside expectations. So I think I think it's a discernment process that's between choice and habit and also between inner motivation and external forces. You know, for me, I often remind myself that leadership is an inside job. And what I mean by that is, you know, I have to, I have had and continue to disabuse myself of ideas around leadership. Like, I really, I really don't care about celebrity. I really don't care about how many people my book reaches. I had the most beautiful experience at our last conference where a woman who was 29 years old came up to me, who is Venezuelan, and she's just finishing her senior year of college in Boston. And she said a professor had turned her on to my first book. And she was so excited and happy to meet me. And because of the book, she said, why doesn't everyone know about this book? This book is fantastic. And she said, because of that book, she decided to, to send herself to the Bioneers Conference in San Francisco. And I was so moved by that one woman's story, you know, and it was sort of, it felt like having this orphan child of mine found and cared for. And, mm -hmm. and it was like some part of me really got healed by that. And what I notice about that is that I believe we're living in a time of changing our value system from quantitative to qualitative, right? Mm -hmm. And here was a situation where it's not about the numbers. It's not about the ratings. It's not about celebrity. It was one woman, and it was so sweet. Hey, beloveds, pardon this interruption. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that Sacred Facilitator, our advanced training and rite of passage for space holders, is enrolling now, and we begin August 22nd. Sacred Facilitator is for women who are already holding some type of space, who are holding circles, who have a community of women they work with, perhaps coaches, yoga teachers, intuitives, healers. Any of you that are listening to this podcast would likely be a good fit. 
And it's an opportunity for us to deepen in our craft by unlearning and deconditioning the behaviors of patriarchy and colonialization, white supremacy and shadow biases, sisterhood shadows, and then refilling our cup with really amazing opportunity to dive into ritual, to connect with our guides, connect with our ancestors and spiritual lineage, and be held by elders and wisdom keepers through the process. We have incredible guests who come on and teach, many of whom you've heard on this podcast. It's a special opportunity to hang out with Shana and I and many women of the Global Sisterhood, and we would love you to be a part of it. So I won't say much more. If you want to learn more, go to globalsisterhood.org slash sacred dash facilitator, and I hope to see you there. All right, back to the show. I love everything that you just said so, so, so much. I love particularly the part about learning where we have been or you have been chronically undervaluing yourself. That part is the part that's been ringing so loudly in my ears lately. And I've been in this journey of of getting honest with myself, which is, you know, a practice that I love doing. I love being honest with myself, but you know, it's been really easy for me to be honest about all the shadows and all the things I need to change, but to be honest about actually how great things are and how I just simply need to give attention to myself. You know, simply just like pay attention and let myself feel. I think this is another point that you're bringing up, which is so powerful, which is about trusting the body. And we say these words like loving ourselves or we have to, we we need to feel, we need to feel what's going on in our bodies. But this is like, couldn't be more important, actually dedicating time to do nothing but breathe and feel. That's been life-changing to me lately. Just giving myself the dignity to get honest and feel what's taking place in my body in a profound way opens up so much space for me to even know what my yes is, for me to even know what my truth is. And the no and the yes can get confusing. And I can get this feeling of being confused. But when I stop and I honor my body and my feelings and not try to coach my feelings away or heal the trauma of the feelings, but just dignify the feelings, they, they tell me the truth. I would love to hear you speak a little bit more about that and the body as a compass to feminine leadership. There are so many things in what you said, Lauren, that I want to respond to. Respond away. It's very rich. (laughs) Well, there is tremendous value in stillness and in listening. I titled my book, A Woman Listens for Leadership, because part of my practice is in listening at least as much as I talk, ideally more. And that's a way that, you know, I think the confluence of patriarchy and white supremacy and all that stuff has tended to make us talk much more than we listen and think we know rather than being humble and open and receptive and learning. But I don't just mean listening with my ears. I I 
try to practice listening with my body. And what I mean by that is, well, here's an example. One of the things that I've learned is when I'm with a group and somebody says something that I imagine might be offensive to a person of color in the group, my body is my compass. And because my mind is, gets confused and I'm not sure and I don't want to make things worse and I have all kinds of mixed reactions in that moment. But if I pay exquisite attention to my body, what I notice is uh, that my body tells me, my stomach clenches if, if I've heard something that could be wounding to another. And if I notice that stomach clenching, I can actually say in the circle, I'm not sure about this, but my stomach just clenched hearing what you said. And I don't know if anyone in the room might feel hurt by that or triggered by it, um, or if it's just me. But it's a very clean way of questioning whether something was hurtful or not. Another thing that I've found, I, I co-teach with a woman who is an amazing teacher for me, and her name is Deborah Eden Tull, and we teach together at Esalen. And she teaches relational mindfulness, which is a kind of feminist adaptation of Zen. And it's just beautiful. She was a Zen monk for seven years. And when she came out of the monastery, she said, well, that's a beautiful practice and I learned so much, but it's, my heart wasn't engaged enough. And so she literally kind of translated Zen into a more feminist friendly practice and heartful practice. So it's interesting that there's like this personal thing that's coming up for me that I want to ask you. And I think there's a lot of people that can probably relate to this. And so I I feel like it's important to ask, but I've recently been reflecting on that when I was younger, I had this sense, it was, it was something that would come to me when I would be on an airplane. I don't know for whatever reason, the airplane is where I would get this sense was that if I were to die, I would feel at peace because I had lived my life fully. And recently I don't feel that way. I feel like I have all this untapped potential and I would love to hear from you about what you would say to me about like this moment in my life where I feel, I feel like I have so much to give. I feel like I have so much to do and yet I don't know how or what and yeah, they're just, it just feels like I'm surrounded by potential and yeah, anything you have to say to that. Well, it's very beautiful to hear you say that, Shana. And I have also had the thought many times, especially in the last few years where I've tended to my mother's end of life and I've seen so many friends lose parents and loved ones. And I've often thought, well, if I died tomorrow, it would be okay because I would feel like I gave what I was here to give. And 
I think that the biggest thing that I would say to you about all that potential is trust it and give yourself permission to just pay exquisite attention to what makes your flame grow brighter. Um, that was advice that a, a beautiful guide gave to me years ago. And she said, you have to pay exquisite attention because sometimes the flame growing brighter just happens really fast and it's small. And sometimes it happens in your lower belly and it's just like, and if you're not paying exquisite attention, you might miss it. So I would say that feeling all that potential is a very juicy moment for you and that it's a really good time to turn your attention inward, to take the pressure off of being outward and of manifesting, or I like to say manifesting, and instead pay exquisite attention to what lights you up and do that. And just give yourself a field of experimentation where you try things and see how they feel and see what lights your heart up and trust that and go in that direction. Because like you, I'm a woman of many appetites and many possibilities. And it's been very helpful to me to have role models who have demonstrated to me that I don't have to be one thing. Like part of what I love about my book is some of it's written in poetry, some of it's written in prose, some of it's really left brain, some of it's really right brain. It's kind of all different ways of expression. And that's who I am. And I've had mentors some of whom I knew personally and some of whom I just knew through their writing who helped me see like Alice Walker's writing and Terry Tempest Williams writing. You don't have to be just one thing. You can be a woman who stands for several things. You can be a woman who stands for the connective tissue. You can be a woman who stands for healing. You can be anything you can imagine and all of the parts of yourself that come most alive in response to this world and this moment are probably what's needed. So don't limit your possibilities and trust what your body and your heart and your dream time and your intuition guide you towards. Thank you so much. I feel like you inspired a poem inside of me about this little flame. Oh, so thank good. you. Good. I want to see it when it happens. Will you share it? <laughs> yes, it will be dedicated to you. Oh. So, Nina, for our last question, this is a question we ask every guest on the Time in the Feminine podcast. If you, in this moment, were a vessel and a conduit for the Great Mother to speak, a message for all of us. What would she say through you? Oh, gosh. Well, for me, the great mother is nature. And she is utterly sacred. And so 
she would say to us, please know that you are me and that I am holding you and that I am endlessly resilient, reparative, and abundant. And that if you will still your mind and listen with the rest of you, you will know where to take the next right step. So trust yourselves and trust in the small and the local. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be true to your own hearts and spirits calling. And please care for yourselves and each other well and trust that you have all that you need to meet this moment. And I love you without cease, beyond time, beyond space, and, and we can do this. And so it is. Thank you. So oh, it thank is. you both. What a beautiful, beautiful meeting. <laughs> okay, I'm all weepy now, ready to start my day. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Thank you both. Yeah, we like we like to go there. Thank you. So I just want to say here too, if you're interested to hear more about Nina's work and to find out where she's speaking, teaching, to hear more about her book, Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership, you can go and visit her website at ninasimons.com or bioneers.org. And bioneers.org, highly recommend checking it out. They have incredible speakers, events, all sorts of things. And there's so much wisdom that they're bringing to this platform. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Thank you so much, Shana and Lauren. Thank you, feminine leaders and um, all my love. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time in the Feminine podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books. And it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening. And so we want to give back to you. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review and come join us in Circle. Every new moon, we have a donation-based circle. No woman is turned away. So come, sit, show your face, listen, be a part of the community, and let us dive deeper and do this work together in action, in practice, together in sisterhood. And for those of you who are already holding space and want to dive deeper into this art, you are invited to take Sacred Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more or follow us at the Global Sisterhood on Instagram. Episodes drop every single Thursday and we have some really beautiful episodes in store. So until then, loves, much love and a big, big hug.